We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You are listening to the Tuesday, September 19th edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm your host, Pat Corain, on Twitter, at Pat Corain. And with me this week is Sean Siegel, writer and editor for Rotoviz, and uh, coming on as the new co-host for this show. Uh, Sean, great to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be here, and I look forward to this season. We're going to have a lot of fun and have a bunch of great guests and talk a lot of football here. So a couple weeks playing now and and a lot of very exciting things and and some sort of strange and disappointing things so we'll get get to a lot of that yeah and um if you if you've missed a couple episodes and you're kind of unclear what happened to jake rickroad he uh he had his third kid and he's super busy right now so he's taking some time off from the show uh we're hoping to get him back on from time to time but uh sean's gonna be uh co-hosting with me going forward um and yeah for this episode we're just gonna get into kind of all the all the craziness from the first two weeks as you mentioned Sean um and you so it'll just be you and me and and kind of talking about uh talking about football so far so basically having you on is kind of a combo coast and guest this week so I'm excited for that um I want to remind everyone though before we get into everything that uh you know you should still be signed up for Rotoviz if you haven't already 
Uh, you can get a listener's only 30% discount to Rotoviz, uh, the Rotoviz NFL Pass through our NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. It's going to give you unlimited access to all of our premium content. Also supports the podcast. And it also helps if you rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, and, of course, uh, subscribe as well. And then uh, you can always contact us as well via email, rotavisradio at gmail.com and Twitter at rotavisradio. Um, Sean, the rotavis does not go dormant in, during the season. It, it, isn't that right? Right. We've got some of the best content we've ever had this season. Uh, probably 30, 40 in-season articles a week. And covering just a variety of different angles we have a great waiver wire report but then ben crutch is doing a couple of spectacular articles each week called stealing signals which you know give um, more stats than you can imagine on every single team so much that you have to split it up you know one column for afc one column for nfc and then we've got you know two zero running back reports again the same thing you know so much information we cover both conferences separately uh, we've got the game level similarity projections. We've got a ton of DF st- DFS stuff late in the week, obviously with Nick, who does a fantastic job with that. And then his team there. Uh, I- I'm just really excited about what the content has looked like for the first week. Awesome. Um, so let's get into uh, our first topic here, which I kind of want to talk about some Rotoviz wide receivers, guys that uh, we are all pretty much high on going into the season. Um, and it's been kind of up and down for three of these guys that I wanted to highlight. Um, let's start with Amari Cooper. Uh, he had a good week one, not such a good week two, 13 targets in week one. He was five for 62 and a touchdown. Probably should have had another touchdown. He got three straight targets in the red zone in week one, in the end zone, I should say, in week one. Um, in week one, Crabtree had seven targets to Cooper's 13, but this week... Cooper saw five targets. Um, Crabtree had six, and of course, Crabtree had three touchdowns, while Cooper just had four receptions for 33 yards. What do you make of Cooper's start to the season? Um, how worried are you about Crabtree kind of reemerging as that uh, red zone touchdown weapon that he was last year? I thought the first week was extremely encouraging, especially those end zone targets one of the things that we've heard through two seasons for cooper is that they just don't use him in the red zone and obviously you know there was plenty of evidence to back that up someone who has the profile that cooper has you know having been a spectacular college wide receiver a very good athlete uh, then coming out and immediately emerging through his first two seasons the idea that he would not be deployed or not be used in the red zone certainly you know in the end zone that didn't make a lot of sense because you just you don't refuse to use great weapons in the most important area and so then you know he scores next drive goes down there but you know that's a a good and bad kind of situation because as you mentioned on those three plays none of them were easy but two of them certainly could have been described as drops. The third one was a difficult catch that he didn't make. And, and when you have you know a player where you have heavy ownership and they essentially miss three consecutive shots at a touchdown, not only does that hurt your fantasy team, but then you, in the back of your mind, you start to wonder you know, if, if that's also going to affect how the team sees him. He had another drop later in that game. He had a, a pretty big drop on what would have been a conversion uh, early on in week two. 
and then obviously you see the the Crabtree explosion and a little bit of that is always just going to be that Derek Carr has shown that he is willing to take whatever the matchup is and so with Amari Cooper being so difficult to cover defenses are going to have to look to take that away and when they do then you know he just targets Crabtree relentlessly at the same time uh, if he's having so much success with Crabtree and you know the quarterback in the back of his mind too you know he sees those drops on big plays and that can't help but push you away from that I mean certainly we've seen lots of of players in the past you're reminded last night when Brandon Marshall just had you know big drop after big drop well I mean Marshall has had a ton of drops throughout his career but he's someone who gets open at will you know Terrell Owens someone else who you know a ton of drops but those guys are always open and so you know, being open tends to swamp in the short term some of those drop issues as long as you get the volume. And so you're hoping that Cooper, number one, that those drops are sort of fluky, but number two, you know, he's so difficult to cover that he still ends up with a lot of volume. Uh, when the volume gets a little bit lower, a little bit like we've seen with Marshall through a couple of weeks, I mean, those drops become really big. And certainly when the quarterback has other options, and I think he goes in that direction. So I'm still pretty high on Cooper. I have him on a huge number of teams. I think this could be his breakout season, but uh, you know, both for the, the fantasy teams in week two and then for the long term, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty demoralizing week. I know you have him on one of your big teams. How, how do you see that week within the lens of you know, both fantasy and then, and then going forward? Yeah, I'm I'm really high on Cooper as well, and um, Pete Overzet and I drafted him in our FFPC high stakes team, which is uh, not going well through two weeks. Um, but I think the thing that uh, I still this still makes me optimistic is looking at the snap counts. And in the back half of the show, we're going to be getting into some kind of interesting tidbits from the snap counts through two weeks, uh, one per each team. Um, and the the tidbit I'll kind of rob from from that section for the Raiders that I found uh, was that Crabtree still trails through two weeks Amari Cooper by 26 snaps. Crabtree's played on 67% of the Raiders' snaps compared to 89% for uh, Cooper. And even this past week, Crabtree played on 61%. Cooper played on 84%. Uh, Cooper was on the field for 13 more snaps um, than uh, than Michael Crabtree. So I, I still feel like long-term the volume should tilt in uh, Cooper's favor, I think given his profile and kind of what we saw week one in terms of the volume still has me optimistic. Uh, but let's move on to a, another kind of classic road of his wide receiver and Probably the wide receiver I think about uh, is kind of being tied to you the most at this point, Sean, Stephon Diggs. Um, he also had an excellent week one, eight targets, seven receptions, 93 yards, and two touchdowns. This week fell back to earth with uh, six targets, but two for 27 and no touchdowns. Um, meanwhile, Adam Thielen has been, I think, much more high volume than at least I suspected he would be, expected he would be. Uh he had 10 targets in week one, went nine for 157. And then he had six targets this past week going five for 54. So he's actually out targeted digs through two weeks. And then of course there's concerns if Sam Bradford misses time. Um, 
I'm not too worried about Diggs two for 27 in terms of what it says about Diggs, but I do worry about what it says about what he can do if Bradford's out of the lineup and he has to play with Case Keenum. So uh, what do you make of Diggs' first two weeks, and um, how do you see this moving forward, particularly if Bradford's banged up? Yeah, Diggs is Diggs is just unbelievable. You, know, you watch him play, and he really looks like a an Antonio Brown type of player. And then the question becomes, is the quarterback play strong enough to support that? Because obviously with Antonio Brown, we see any time that Ben Roethlisberger goes out, you know, that can't help but ding his numbers. And, you know, we've seen the same thing with Diggs, whether he's injured like he was in the back half of last season or this last week with Bradford. I think he's going to have an incredible year. Obviously, you're not going to have that week one every week, but uh, he's just completely and totally uncoverable. And and he shows up in there in terms of the kinds of things that you're looking for for a prospect. It's interesting when we put together the article that, that did really well yesterday about Richard Higgins. You know, Higgins has that same sort of profile where you've got you know, this early and explosive production in college. Anytime you pull out the box score scout and you bring up the receivers like that, it's just really interesting because Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs are always the ones that pop in there. So you're like, these guys who have this profile of being a little bit smaller, drafted later, uh, not necessarily expected to get an NFL opportunity, but then if they do get an NFL opportunity, the sky appears to be the limit. So, you know, excitement for, for several of those guys. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the week two. Every, every week I tape all the games and do six miles on the treadmill. Uh, on Sundays, watching almost all of them, mostly so that later in the day, you know, I can have my tacos and, and donuts and that kind of thing and only be at like plus 500 calories instead of, you know, plus 1,000 or something like that. Uh, this week I haven't seen the Vikings game yet in part because that Bradford news comes out Sunday morning and, and you're like, ah, you know, looking for, for ways to, to move your lineups around. And then, you know, you can't help but see the bottom line. And, and when Diggs doesn't score, that doesn't, that doesn't create a lot of incentive to go to that game first. So I haven't seen Vikings this week yet. Looking forward to that game and just looking at what Keenum has to offer there. Certainly anytime you haven't had as much of a heads up on that kind of thing. I think it, it destroys sort of the, the whole offense. You don't get as much time to, to work with the things that maybe Keenum does well to practice those kinds of things. And certainly the Pittsburgh defense is a very difficult matchup. So hopefully this will just be a one-week blip and we'll see both Diggs and Thielen do better. Thielen, uh, in his own right, is, is a very talented player. Uh, Josh Hermes-Meyer's air yards projection system had him as a huge value this year. So in constructing my lineups, I tried to make sure I got either Diggs or Thielen on basically every team. And I think that that will work out going forward. Those guys both outperforming their draft slots. Do you think this is a buy low opportunity for, for Diggs and maybe also for Thielen, given that they both, uh, you know, had much less production in week two. And, um, you know, if you're, if you weren't the type of person to really be buying digs in the first place, then you might see, you know, this is this is actually a chance to get out before the bottom falls out. I think that possibility exists. Certainly the expectations for digs are all over the map. I drafted a couple of uh, expert leagues with Matt Harmon, who would often take him in early in round three. And so, you know, you're not going to be able to 
to buy there. Right. And, you know, even if you're a huge Diggs fan, you, difficult to even get it. On the other hand, I I participated in the Washington Post mock and actually let Diggs go a couple times just to see how late he would go, and he fell to five eleven. That's around where he was going in some of the high stakes drafts as well, which is one of the reasons why I got him on almost every team because I would never really let him go past round four. I think if you're in a situation where he's going round three, going round four, then probably you know the owner is excited enough and understands that he's just really undervalued. I mean, I think Stefan Diggs is a second round value. And so any anywhere after round two, which is basically where anybody got him, then I think you're already looking at extra value there. Certainly, if someone is worried about Bradford, I think the best opportunities in some of these situations are to, to attempt two-for-two two trades, maybe a two-for-two two trade in a dynasty league where you can sort of camouflage the fact that Diggs is your target through who the secondary players involved are. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly any chance, anytime Diggs has a bad game, you should be putting out offers for him because you know, I think he's going to be a round one draft pick in 2018. Awesome. Uh, and then one last wide receiver here. I wanted to cover Kenny Britt. Uh, he was a big Rotovis guy as well. Uh, he's currently wide receiver 109 in PPR. So rough start to the season. Um, in week one, he had three targets, but just went one for 13. Week two, he was down to two targets. Uh, he had one for two yards, if I wrote that down right. Um, so that is obviously a terrible start to the season, but Corey Coleman is likely to land on IR with a broken hand. Uh, so there could be some hope for Britt to rebound here. Uh, how optimistic are you about Britt? Well, Britt was one of our guys for a long time, and then he had the very strong season last year where he had a a number of peripherals strongly in his favor beyond uh, beyond the raw numbers. When he was targeted, Jerry Goff had, you know, two yards per attempt in terms of, of adjusted yards per attempt better than any other receiver. You know, he had these good peripheral numbers in terms of converting air yards into actual receiving yards, even though he was getting some deep targets that are often difficult to convert. So there are a lot of positives there. At the same time, I think that you have to be responsive to the new information that you get. And certainly he has not looked good in this offense. And I think there are a variety of potential factors there. Certainly we've seen a number of high-profile receivers have a bad game here, a bad game there. I mean, you look at someone like Marvin Jones. If he doesn't come down with those two touchdowns, then he basically hasn't scored at all through two weeks. Uh, so having two bad weeks doesn't immediately count you out. But anytime you're a veteran receiver changing teams, changing teams to a situation where the quarterback play is probably not very strong, then if your production also isn't there, your targets aren't there, I don't know that there's a great argument for an immediate bounce back or a bounce back to a level where he'd really be playable. I mean, I think his his performance, his numbers are going to be better than they have been. But better than they have been could still fall far short of what you need for your fantasy leagues. He's certainly a compelling hold if you're in a league where you've lost a number of receivers and maybe you're in a start four situation. With many people being in a start two or start three situation with wide receivers, I don't think that he's probably as strong a hold as other people you could have on your team, especially when people are always trying to churn running backs. And then this last week we saw a number of tight ends go down. So 
even in the leagues that I have where you have 20 roster spots and you potentially will start four wide receivers, he is someone who would perhaps be on the chopping block for me or is in the waivers to where uh, if I can pick up someone else who has better opportunity, he would be someone who in that case would be released. Do you have a? Sense. Tell me, you've got a more a more optimistic look. I'm I'm looking for Kenny Britt optimists here as we're we're sitting two weeks in and he has no production. Yeah, so I guess the optimistic little nugget is that he does lead all Browns wide receivers in snaps through two weeks. Um, so he is on the field despite the fact that he's not producing. I know, kind of the narrative on him a, a little bit has been that he's been in the doghouse with Hugh Jackson, but he's he's been out there um so with coleman gone i don't think there's like i don't think there's real risk of coleman being gone and then like someone else being a huge beneficiary where Britt's not still not playing that much like he is playing i guess is (laughs) the best i can say and so therefore he he's out on the field they just lost coleman he should get more targets but i i kind of agree with your point where yeah he could get he could double his targets and he'd you know, he'd have 10 targets over the next two games. You know, he'd be averaging five targets per game. So I don't, I, I'm kind of in our uh, high stakes team. We, we drafted him in the 10th round. Um, and I think we'll probably throw him back actually and, and see if we can get uh, another running back uh, kind of waiver wire target. But um, yeah, I, I guess what I say is like I wouldn't just drop him outright in that league, twenty roster spots. But if we can get a running back target that we we like, I think he's probably our cut this week. So, um, Sean, before we get to our next section, which is going to be zero running back candidates, I uh, kind of want to pick your brain about, you know, like I said we're going to try to churn for running backs who we should be targeting. Um, so, I, before we do that, though, I want to just mention my bookie. Which uh, you know, if you're if you're into fantasy, that means you're into football. So if you're going to be putting some money on the games as well, then the place to do it is my bookie. Uh, we you know the number one reason to play with my bookie is that they actually pay you out. Uh, but the other biggest reason is that if you deposit with my bookie, they'll match your deposit up to 100%. All you have to do is use the promo code Roto Radio to activate your offer. That's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid um, at mybookie.ag. And the really cool uh, little promo here right now that we have with mybookie is that uh, if you sign up using the the code ROTORADIO at mybookie.ag and then you forward a copy of your sign-up to rotavisradio at gmail.com, you're going to be entered into a drawing for a limited edition Rotoviz athletic jacket. Uh, we covered last week. These are going to be kind of like half zip pullovers. Um, Sean, have we figured out what color they're going to be yet? I don't know who is winning the the vote. I, I think that red with the white lettering may be out in front. But what did you vote for? I voted. <laughs> I voted for the red with the white lettering. So, so we'll nice. see there. I I already have a lot of. The gray Rotoviz and other wise uh, sweatshirts and, and pullovers. So, uh, just for a little variety there and, and a little pop, you know, you when you're walking around out on the street 
and someone sees you in your rotoviz pullover, I mean, you want them to know rotoviz. <laughs> like that guy cannot be in my fantasy league. <laughs> that's that's true. We, the other options I think were gray with the white lettering and gray with red lettering. So no doubt that the red pops the most. And I so it looks like that's going to be what what you'll win here if you sign up for my bookie. Um, so make sure when you sign up in mybookie.ag that you use the promo code RotoRadio forward us uh, the confirmation email, and then you'll be in the drawing to win the limited edition uh, Rotovis Athletic Jacket. And these things are are big. I mean, I uh, I actually screwed up the order last year on the Rotovis hoodies, so I didn't get my black Rotovis hoodie. I've just got the the gray and the the red from the two years previous, and I'm I'm really bummed about that. So don't miss out here. Get get in on these hoodie. Get in not hoodies. I uh, get in on the uh, our very first pullover half zip pullover from Rotovis. Um, kind of a cool little promo here. So uh, let's get into uh, our zero running back uh, pickups, targets, what have you. Um, I just wanted to bring up some names with you, Sean, that I think are on the forefront of most people's minds, but. I think what I really want to do is is have you kind of fill in the gaps here, anyone I don't mention. So I'll just kind of run through some guys that that are kind of popular pickups. I mean, Javoris Allen, if he's still out there, is going to be a huge pickup this week. Um, Obviously, he's producing, and then Terrence West is banged up. Chris Carson, also uh, going to be a big pickup this week. Um, But I'm also curious what you think about C.J. Procise, given that situation. He was a a big zero running back target before the season. And then uh, Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Thompson should be getting some more work with Rob Kelly day-to-day with a a chest injury. And then uh, there's some deeper guys we'll get into later. But I'm curious about what you think about those guys and then any other names that have really jumped out to you this week that you're kind of try to add to the end of your rosters and your uh your zero running back rosters yeah Allen has has been fantastic and he's a little bit difficult player to read because he was so involved in 2015 and he brings that sort of dual threat to the table when we talk about the zero running back candidates and how to approach you know sort of setting your roster up structurally you know looking at players who if things break the right way they could have a much bigger workload and so you're looking at players like Allen where you know he may not be quite the rusher that West is although he's looked very good through a couple weeks he may not be certainly not quite the receiver that Danny Woodhead is but he's the player who brings both of those things so even though he's third in line coming into the season uh, he maybe is the person that you target or even have at the top of your watch list you know if you don't have enough roster spots because he could actually move into both of those roles and Obviously, it takes a very specific chain of events to have that happen as quickly as it's happened this year, where Woodhead is out, West is banged up. Allen looks tremendous in that dual role, but you know he he's certainly a guy where uh, already you know he he's a he's a running back too. I think every week. This has been such a crazy beginning to the season. I was talking with some of my friends yesterday and looking at some of the different results from fantasy leagues and people talking about how uh, like the best team in the league lost this week because they started Le'Veon Bell and Ezekiel Elliott 
<laughs> like if you lose because you started those two players, you had six running backs on your roster and the other four guys scored more points. It's crazy. Um, obviously that's not going to happen every week. And that goes back to the question too, with hit players like Kenny Britt. Well, you know, you're not going to sell Le'Veon Bell or Ezekiel Elliott because of a bad game. And so uh, what we expect coming in plays a, a big role in terms of how we view those first couple of weeks. But, but yeah, it's been crazy, and already we've seen some of these guys emerge, like Chris Carson, like a Chris Thompson. Even those two guys are sort of you know probably at the opposite ends of what we're looking for as you're running back-wise. Carson has been great, and I think that goes back to a little bit where the Seahawks were last year. I mean, I don't think Thomas Rawls failed because he suddenly wasn't a good running back. Obviously, he had some injury issues. And the NFL is so tough that you go down a little bit in terms of what your level is because of an injury. It, it completely changes who you are then as a player, and he may have dealt with a little bit of that. But he also dealt with the fact that they do not block at all. And so you know, you're know you trying to deal with these defenders in the backfield. One of the things we saw a lot this offseason, people talking about Eddie Lacy breaking a lot of tackles and that where he was going to the Seahawks was very similar to where Marshawn Lynch was going to the Seahawks. And I didn't really think that was the case, but I certainly was open to that interpretation, open to that possibility. But anytime you're playing with with Aaron Rodgers and the defense is having to account for him, spread out, you're getting into the secondary, you're breaking tackles sort of one at a time, or you're breaking tackles of uh, defensive backs, that's going to be very difficult. Uh, or very different than what you deal with with the Seahawks, where you may have to break multiple tackles of big defensive linemen uh, before you even get to the line of scrimmage. And I didn't think Lacey would be able to do that. Certainly he hasn't so far. That doesn't mean that if he gets healthier or if things change that he might not be able to do it in the future. But he certainly looks to be out of the equation. Um, Rawls struggling with injuries. And then it comes back to ProSize, where it was really shocking that considering where they were in week one, that he doesn't even get a target, which he may still be injured or you know not quite 100% or just hasn't had enough practice within the scheme. But you look at, at Russell Wilson, you look at a, sort of a very different kind of situation with Cam Newton and his, his miss of... Uh, Christian McCaffrey wide open in the end zone. Yeah. And, you know, you, you start to have some of these frustrations with the rushing quarterbacks uh, who are very good overall quarterbacks, but if they're not going to be able to get the ball to their running backs for dump offs, then, you know, maybe you do have to adjust your expectations and adjust, you know, who you want to target on those teams. So if the Seahawks are not going to use ProSize in the passing game, then he, he has a much longer road to any sort of fantasy relevance. Um, is, is Carson a guy that you have sort of on your target list? Obviously, a lot of people picked him up last week. Uh, did you have a, a waiver uh, a waiver request in for him? How did you approach that with your first wave of free agent pickups? It's been so muddled that I haven't been – I didn't target him in leagues where I had kind of limited roster spots. I do have him in a couple leagues where I just have a – ton of rot like scott fishbowl i have him there because it's more about carries and i'm just like <laughs> i was looking for anyone who looked like they might get carries and I, I picked him up i think even before the season so uh i've targeted him a little bit but he hasn't been a priority for me just because i think part of it is probably a little bit of a bias because i like ProSize a lot um part of it is that 
I actually think, you know, I, I, I was pro Rawls over Lacey. So I was sort of like, part of me was probably like, who's this Carson guy coming in here? Like thinking, thinking I knew how it was going to shake out. It was either going to be Rawls or, or pro size that'd be the main beneficiary. But so I haven't really jumped on him, but obviously this past week he, he got a lot of work. Um, I need to kind of rethink that backfield, although he's not really available in most of my leagues at this point. I think people generally scooped him up. Um, who's who's kind of some deeper targets for you? I, I wrote down some names here just to get your thoughts on them. Um, Elijah McGuire is kind of interesting because he's been getting a little bit of work in the the Jets' backfields, um, Powell and Forte haven't done much. The Jets are so bad that I could see them trying to work in McGuire just to see what they have, you know, in their new rookie there. Malcolm Brown is interesting as, like, um, just a kind of a handcuffy guy to Gurley. But if Gurley were to go down, I think Brown might have a big role. Tobert's been getting about 20% of the snaps. In Buffalo, um, you know, he's not that great of a player but they really don't have much else there so i could consider him having maybe a three down role if um mccoy were to go down and then chris johnson basically had the same amount of snaps as Curran williams this week um also andre ellington led the team in snaps uh running back this week and um you know that the cardinals are looking pretty bad so it, it's likely they're trailing and maybe ellington is really the the target there after Kerwin williams was a you know a big money uh free agent bidding dollar ad last week so uh what do you think of those guys and then anyone that i haven't mentioned i think that the tricky part sort of as you alluded to in those backfields is number one the the overall production that you expect from the backfield is probably relatively low both the cardinals and the jets are struggling in general and certainly struggling to run. The Cardinals at least do have some options in the passing game. They have that vertical passing game and, you know, will occasionally hit on players or on plays with uh, people like J.J. Nelson, Jerron Brown, the Jets, maybe not so much with any of it, although Jermaine Curse has been certainly a surprise through a couple of weeks and maybe even see a little bit of the reason why Seattle held him and, and continued to use him ahead of some of the trendier players for a while there before finally deciding to go in that direction. Uh, I think with the Jets, I still really like Forte. I, I always tell people that I'm wrong on so many things, and so I always try and set my rosters up to be successful, even if I'm mostly wrong. And I, I just didn't understand the Powell enthusiasm this offseason and, and kept trying to trace it back, and it really didn't seem like it came from the team. It seemed, it seemed like it came from fantasy writers. And that's not necessarily bad, because I think a lot of the very best work that's being done around football is being done by by fantasy analysts. And so certainly I would take those opinions very highly and factor that into my thinking. But you know, when you look at Forte, when you look at Powell, one of those players has a much stronger track record and you know played through injury last season one of the things that we always kind of struggle with is that when someone is completely out you know we tend to forgive them uh what happened at the on the other hand when someone plays through injury like well this person isn't as good now well they're not as good when they're hurt (laughs) because when you play in the nfl at less than 100 percent, you just don't have those same abilities it's it's such a high level um Forte it seems to be relatively back. I mean, he's no longer a star, and certainly in this offense, he's not going to be a star. But, you know, I did like him there, especially at the price. 
I think in a three-way committee where just the committee in terms of the total numbers are not going to score a lot of points that I, I would still stay away from, certainly stay away from something like buying low on Powell. And McGuire, I think even in slightly deeper leagues is, is still a watch list kind of guy. If you're going to own and start a Cardinals player, I think at running back, I think that definitely you want Johnson over Williams. Uh, Andre Ellington doesn't doesn't look good, is, is struggling in that role. But again, it's the role that has value. So I, I would prefer to add or to try and trade for someone like Chris Thompson, although you know he's been so good through the first couple of weeks that maybe you even have a, a sell-high opportunity there. Some deep players who are a little bit more in that vein, he didn't have a good week in week two, in part because uh, their situation offensively is so tricky. But Tyler Irvin is someone who has some of those, you know, that passing down role. We look at Duke Johnson. Well, Tyler Irvin is pretty similar. uh, And, you know, both of them are in offenses where if the running back is going to be deployed mostly as a receiver, you know, it's not great because their offenses aren't great. But... I think there can be some optimism that Watson, even if he doesn't pass well, will be able to move the ball better than Savage did. And so maybe that opens up some things. Maybe Will Fuller coming back and uh, you know, running some of those clear-out routes will clear some things up for some players. And, and it, again, that's sort of a, a three-running-back situation with Miller, Foreman, and then you're talking about sort of a niche-receiving guy. But if you're going to go for a niche-receiving guy, then it's great to have him be someone who is almost certainly free and Irvin is still kind of at that free level. Yeah. Are you rostering? Go ahead. Yeah. Irvin's been, he was on uh, our radar after last week because he, you know, was pretty involved that going into the season, I wasn't really expecting him to be that involved. And um, it was kind of nice to see, because I was a big fan of him coming out. Uh, I actually took him, last year in our in high stakes league i think he was like our 17th round pick or something like that and was hoping we would get a little bit out of him which we did not but um yeah he had five targets this past week only three for 16 um but he is involved and uh he's played on 53 percent of the snaps this year so uh, yeah I, I like that one a lot i think um he could He's a he's you know speaking of fast players he's he's very fast and and a dynamic player, um, and it could only take a couple plays before he's on everyone's radar. So I, I really like that as an under the radar pickup. How about Tolbert? Is he someone you would be looking to add this week? Yeah, so Tolbert, um, I actually have added in a number of leagues, uh, just because I don't know who else would be involved there if if McCoy went down he seems to really be like the only other running back they're using um so you know he's he's Mike Tolbert like he's not going to set the world on fire but Buffalo looks better than um you know people expected better than I expected uh Tolbert's had 27 percent of the snaps so far uh basically no one else besides McCoy or Tolbert has been involved I think Joe Banyard, Joe Banyard. I don't really know him. And then Taiwan Jones, uh, who's never really done anything. So I feel like just from a pure upside perspective, you know, if McCoy were miss a couple games, and of course McCoy struggled with some soft tissue hamstring injuries over the course of his career, then Tolbert could be in for a pretty big workload 
What do, what do you think about Tolbert? The thing I like about Tolbert is that even though he's not going to touch the ball very often, there's the potential for very high-value touches. So, you know, maybe you're not used between the 20s at all, and he's almost the exact opposite of someone like Amir Abdullah, for example, where right. you know, he's, he's not going to carry the ball. He's not going to rack up any sort of meaningful stats in terms of rushing yards. But if you catch two or three passes and then you score a goal line touchdown, well, you know, that's 10 points. And we've seen a lot of the top running backs struggle to get to that level. You know, mentioned Bell and Elliott, but, you know, someone who's even doing far worse like Jordan Howard. I mean, getting 10 points from your running back is something you can't scoff at. And certainly once the injuries start to kick in even more, which they unfortunately will do, and then you get to the bye weeks, being able to plug someone like Tolbert in who would get those cheap 10 points, that, that could be very valuable for you, especially if Tolbert lines up with some buys of other players you have where the Bills actually have a good matchup that week. Tolbert really wasn't an option this this week with the fact that they just weren't going to score any points. Uh, but in those games where the Bills defense will really control and the opposing the opposing defense you know, for their offense isn't as difficult as what we saw in week two, then, uh, I mean, Tolbert is a great, um, you know, individual week fill-in. Awesome. Anyone else that we should uh, that we should mention before we move on? Well, I noticed that in a number of leagues, even very deep leagues, that one or the other of the backup Oakland Raiders running backs had been dropped. And you can understand why, because, you know, that backup role behind Marshawn Lynch, I think, is going to sort of widely vary week to week who gets the touches and then who makes the explosive plays. So, you know, if if Washington gets a, a big play here, you know, takes a, a twenty yard touchdown reception, then you know the the just the actual fantasy point numbers boost, and and we can talk about touches, snaps, expected points, all you want. Uh, just as human beings, the the emotion always goes back there to you know what actually did happen. You know, has this guy scored a touchdown? Does he seem like the guy they want in the offense in those key moments? And even if that's not very predictive, you know that's how people are going to play it. And uh, so, as you're looking for those Raiders running backs, it, you know, in many ways they're they're not that playable because you don't know how the snaps are going to work out, how the touches are going to work out week to week. But certainly if there is an injury to any of those three guys, then I think the other two become much more valuable. And so if someone dropped one of the Raiders backups this last week, I'd definitely go to pick them up. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to our high stakes update here. Uh, wanted to just kind of get a sense of where you, where you are so far with your high, high stakes teams. Um, you're, you're much uh, more high volume and much more successful high stakes player than I. Uh, you've you've been playing for a number of years and had uh, a ton of success. Uh, this is my second year in high stakes. Uh, less, much less successful. We Peter Overzet and I co-own a team in the FFPC. We missed the playoffs last year uh, by just a few points. Um, we started one and five and then won five straight this year. We uh, we kind of liked the the roller coaster elements, so we decided to start zero and two. Uh, hopefully we rattle off some wins here eventually, but, uh, it's not been, uh, not been our year so far. So I'm hoping that your teams are doing a little bit better and just kind of want to get an update from you on where you are with your high stakes portfolio. Yeah. Well, I hope that team comes around for you. I know you guys really battled back last year and in the format that you're in, um, it, it just is such a great format there where, you know, you can stay in it down, down to the final week and, and battle for that last playoff spot, even if the team 
isn't utterly dominant. I've had a weird, weird beginning. I had the number two pick in one of my drafts, and you know, I sort of spent the week debating Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown because both of those guys bring different things to the table, and then who you take at that spot is going to have a big impact on how you structure the rest of your roster. And you know, I, I wrote about Le'Veon Bell, you know, for the the Roto World Fantasy Labs book. You know, talked a little bit about certain areas where you might want to go away from zero running back um, because there are these incredible elite running backs who have you know such incredible numbers in terms of expected points who are actually uh, you know last year David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell both had double digits and expected points as both runners and receivers. Well. I mean, those are just huge, huge numbers and probably not numbers you can get from a wide receiver, even the best wide receivers. But in the end, I still decided to go with Antonio Brown because the injury rate to running backs is so much higher and because Brown has been so consistent. And then if you have that injury to Le'Veon Bell, then his numbers go back just absolutely through the roof, especially this year, I think, with potentially, even if you lose a few targets, if you don't have Bell sucking up those targets, but then you do have someone like Martavis Bryant drawing some coverage, then it looked like Antonio Brown might be set for this gigantic season with safe for all those things. Then what happened was this was a draft on Friday after the Thursday night game, and then the way these, these main events work is that if you draft Thursday players you can choose to play them or not play them knowing what yep. they've done. Well, where so Kareem, Kareem where did Kareem Oh, go ahead. That's where you had it. Yeah, no, Kareem Hunt went number 1. Yep, he went number 1 in our draft too. And and he went number 2 in in the draft I did later that day and and certainly that has has not worked out poorly for any of the Kareem Hunt owners. Uh Hunt looks amazing. You know, there And you avoided David Johnson by taking him 101. I mean, it, it's actually been a a uh, huge advantage for for the guys who who took him one one, which I, at the time I thought was an overreaction, but exactly, exactly, it it worked out perfectly in two different ways, and and people were were mocking this owner, you know, in in the chat, which is somewhat unusual in, in the high stakes drafts, but you know, I I sort of chimed in with the point that the very highest scoring team I ever had in terms of regular season was one where I had selected Peyton Manning in the second round. And it was kind of weird because Peyton Manning in 2013, so this was the 2013 season where he had like the 50-point game uh, in Mm -hmm. week one. (laughs) And in most of the leagues, he was actually going then, you know, somewhere between 104 and 106. But in one of the leagues I did, he actually came back around to me at at 202. And at at that point, it seemed uh, fairly straightforward to bank those those huge numbers of points and then that team ended up just destroying the league and and led from week one and and you know was up 100 or more points you know basically from the very beginning never trailed and so you know i was like i think that's not a bad choice well it was especially not a bad choice because after i had spent the week you know debating for myself brown versus bell cream hunt goes and i picked david johnson so oh no in a very fluky <laughs> development that team is two and oh so huh. If it can somehow get to the playoffs, the thing I keep telling myself is that if it can somehow get to the playoffs, and you're hoping that Bruce Arians, who seems, I mean, Bruce Arians is the best. He's hilarious. He's a really cool guy. He does seem to like to tell you things that are very clearly not true on certain players, which 
is always an interesting practice when you have folks out there who, who like to do that. I'm hoping that David Johnson will be back for week 13, 14 and not Christmas like Arians mm-hmm. was suggesting. Um, yeah. Hopefully at least with Johnson, you may get some production if you can survive to the end, like you're saying. Um, I want to get into kind of this, uh, this last segment here on snaps. It just, I, I looked at each team and kind of pulled out one little kind of interesting nugget about their snap counts throughout uh, the first two weeks and um, kind of just want to go through them and see if what jumps out to us here, Sean. Before we do that, uh, we're just going to take a quick break. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes, so you could join one right now. And the best part? play for cold hard cash drafts start from just one dollar so there's a draft for everyone there's no salary caps so you play in real life snake drafts just like you would with your friends in a season long league so come in join me draft against me on draft today download the app anytime just search draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on playdraft.com whatever you want for a limited time only all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit but you have to use the promo code RV Radio. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code RV Radio on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play free with promo code RV Radio. All right, let's get into uh, some. Some snap, uh, some snap facts, I guess you'd call them. Uh, one per each team here in the league. Uh, starting with the AFC East, um, I'll just run through all four, and then we'll see what jumps out here. Uh, we've got Chris Hogan leads all Patriots uh, wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs in snaps through two weeks. He has he's played on 132 of their 157 snaps. The um, Sean McCoy is just ninth among among running backs in percentage of team snaps. Uh, He's played on just uh, 72% of the Bills' 131 snaps. Jay Ajayi, meanwhile, played on 94% of Miami's snaps in their debut. That's currently the highest percentage uh, for any running back in the league. Uh, And then Jermaine Kearse and Robbie Anderson both played 
at least 88% of the Jets' snaps, uh, but the Jets have the second-fewest offensive snaps per game. Uh, So anything jump out to you there, Sean? Well, the running back snap numbers are pretty interesting in that I think you can look at it both ways where, and we'll see this with Kareem Hunt later, but when you have these workhorse running backs, if they get the ball on a high percentage of the snaps that they're in and then get a breather, I think that that can be very good. On the other hand, you look at the situation with Miami. If you leave your main back out there and he has a three-down skill set, then you're always in a personnel grouping where you can attack in a wide variety of ways. And I think that'll help them. They, they looked very good with Jay Cutler. I'm a big Jarvis Landry fan, and so it was encouraging to see him targeted pretty relentlessly, which you know a lot of people don't like Landry, but those are high-percentage plays. If he's catching those passes and turning them into 7, 8, 9, 10-yard gains, then you know those are better than... Um, you know, running the ball into the line of scrimmage type of plays, which, you know, we hear all the time that you have to establish the run. Well, you know, why not just establish Jarvis Landry? You know, those are <laughs> those are better plays. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like to see those numbers there. You hope that he will be able to hold up underneath that workload because uh, obviously he's, he's had some injuries in the past, but just any running back when you play that high percentage of the time is tricky. So then you look at, you know, who some of his backups are, you know, talk about some of the deep, you're running back ads those Miami backups are guys where you know maybe they're even better targets even though they're not playing at all because <laughs> Ajayi is playing so much that being able to survive that is going to be tricky would you target Damian Williams there or Kenyon Drake I think Drake even though Williams maybe is the better player or the more established player uh, if if they would use Drake as a receiving back in the absence of Ajayi, then he, he could very quickly rack up the specific kind of usage that I think could make him you know, a good running back three kind of player for your team. Uh, whereas, you know, Williams would have to do a lot more things to generate the same number of points. Interesting. All right, let's move to the AFC North. Um, Mike Wallace leads all Baltimore wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends and snaps plays, but he has just four targets on the season. Uh, Alex Erickson uh, has outsnapped Tyler Boyd in Cincinnati, which begs the question, who is Alec Erickson? Uh, Duke Johnson has outsnapped Isaiah Crowell. Uh, he's played on 64% of Cleveland snaps compared to 61% for Crowell. And then Jesse James leads all Pittsburgh wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends and snaps played. He's played on 93% of Pittsburgh snaps. Yeah, do you have a feel for the, the Bengals situation there? It certainly wasn't a surprise that they fired their offensive coordinator, and it was not a surprise when you hear that uh, Marvin Lewis was facing a mutiny because you were looking at a team there with the Bengals that had just problems sort of at every level. They had no offensive identity. They had really bizarre personnel groupings that they were shuffling in and out. Uh, They had no sort of overarching uh, strategic approach to individual games or defenses, you know, through two games, which obviously is a small sample. But then, you know, at the the tactical level or the play calling level, you know, (laughs) why is Erickson getting the touch on the final play of the game or the target instead of, you know, even just throwing the ball up to AJ Green? So, 
it'll be interesting to see there. I we've written a lot of positive things about John Ross and Tyler Boyd. It would be great to see them emerge from that situation. But you know, obviously last year people wanted to know where Laquan Treadwell was and and why someone like Adam Thielen was playing, and it turned out that he was playing because he was good. And yeah, so there's the, there's the potential that that would be the case there, but. I think it's more likely that this reorganization, you know, really lights a fire for the Bengals and helps them get back to where they were. Yeah. So, what do you think's going on with that offense and and Dalton just being so ineffective? It, do you think it's offensive line related? Do you think it was, was the offensive coordinator? Um, they, they. I mean, Sam Pizzi was the offensive coordinator last year, and they weren't this bad. Right, and, and different teams do different things well, and we see teams like the Saints, for example, really shuffle their personnel, although with as good as some of their individual players are, you could certainly raise the question of what, whether or not that personnel shuffling is actually hurting them. Certainly, having people like Adrian Peterson who don't fit what they want to do at all, the necessity to get him in from time to time seems like it's really disrupting their offense. Yeah. I would prefer to see the Bengals do a little bit more what you're seeing from the Dolphins, where you put your best players in the game and then you're able to run a wide variety of play types from that personnel and you know not putting guys in on each individual play that, that somewhat telegraph what the play is, what the objective is. Now, you, you can set up some tendencies and then thwart that tendency in a big moment to ha- have some misdirect, but... I mean, you have to have a little bit of success to start with before you start fooling people based on that kind of thing. And and they're just shuffling people around to the extent that they don't have any continuity and, and you know are not having positive plays. So they're never in a situation where they can then run something different off of that or, or surprise the defense. You, you have to have a, a basic level of success before you can start doing those secondary things. It makes sense, yeah. Um, all right, let's move to the AFC South. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins currently leads all NFL wide receivers in snaps. Uh, He's got 145 snaps. It's tied for the overall lead among all wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs, which we'll touch on again in a few minutes. Jack Doyle currently leads all Colts wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, and snaps. He's played on 96% of the Colts snaps. Um, Leonard Fournette has played on just 60% of Jacksonville snaps. That's 18th among running backs. And then uh, from week one to week two, DeMarco Murray saw his snap percentage decline from 73% to 54%. Derrick Henry's rose, meanwhile, from 28% to 44%. Yeah, Henry was one of our priority zero running back targets. He fell sort of right into that range where you know, you'd be moving from having drafted five, six wide receivers, maybe five wide receivers and a tight end into you know your first running back and it's it's difficult when you're looking at that and i'm going to draft my first running back and he's a clear backup but anytime you're in a situation where a clear backup also has a very straightforward and easy to articulate path to being a top five running back then that's why you would see him drafted there there were a lot of articles about you know his value and his adp being way off based on you know what his full season projection was but i think that that helps understand you know why actually adp does a decent job in terms of reflecting some of those different scenarios you look at the situation with murray and and you have to assume at least in part that that injury is still causing him problems which was what their explanation was for uh, the shift in snap percentage from week one to week two 
on the other hand, I mean, he just looks exactly like he looked with the Eagles a couple of years ago, where um, he doesn't run forward with any explosiveness or cutting ability at all. So I was much more surprised that he had such a tremendous season last year than maybe what is happening this year. And I think you have to give him credit for that. You look at his past with the Cowboys, you look at his athletic numbers, you know, testing it uh, before coming into the league, tremendous athlete. He doesn't look like that on the field, which I, again, I think is one of those situations where, you know, it helps to remind yourself that just watching can be difficult to understand everything that's going on. But certainly when Murray doesn't look dynamic and then his results are very poor, uh, you know, you question what's going on, but certainly making that transition to Henry or, uh, you know, wanting to start him, consider starting him next week on teams where you have him, that, that very definitely comes into play because that's a great offense for a running back to put up points. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's very exciting if you're a Henry owner there. Um, in terms of Fournette, he's a guy I just want to touch on before we move on. Is he, I, he just strikes me as a screaming sell high candidate given, you know, the fact that he's not playing on a ton of their their snaps, just 60% of their snaps. Again, that's 18th among running backs. He's currently PPR running back nine. Um, he's got two touchdowns. Uh, he's got you know 140 yards on the season, but that's a, a 26 attempt 100-yard game in week one uh, with a touchdown. And then he had a, a 14 attempt 40-yard game this past week. Uh, with another touchdown, which saved the day. He also had um, two receptions, 21 yards on five targets this week, and three receptions, 24 yards on three targets in week one. So he has been involved in the passing game, which is nice to see, but he's not on the field quite as much as I'd like, given, I think, the value that you could probably get from right now. And, of course, his his primary value is on the ground, and Jacksonville, you know, after maybe looking like, ooh, maybe they're not so bad, you know, playing at Houston and kicking their butts, just got blown out uh, by Tennessee at home. So, you know, same old Jacksonville, I think, moving forward. Um, you know, does Fournette strike you as, as a sell high the way he strikes me as one? I think so. It's an interesting situation, kind of like you mentioned with the touchdowns. And there are some reasons to believe that some of those touchdowns would continue. He looked, you know, so big and so fast compared to college players. But then there's such a big jump, and some of those guys, like you know, perhaps an Eddie Lacy, a Mark Ingram, you know, a Trent Richardson. It's not that those guys weren't good prospects, and in some ways, the, the most interesting thing is that Richardson was actually easily the best prospect of those three players, but those guys no longer, you know, look, I mean, Eddie Lacy still looks big, but they don't have that big uh, explosive look compared to NFL players where, you know, Leonard Fournette, I mean, good night. He, he mm-hmm. looks like a monster out there. The problem comes back into the, the structural situation that you mentioned where, you know, you don't want your guy to carry, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten plays in a row. So they've been mixing in Chris Ivory. And one of the things that also jumps out is that Ivory, when he's not hurt, is spectacular. Yeah. And so you've got a backup who is very, very good. So they're mixing those guys, and that's great because you don't want Fournette to get a huge number of carries in this very tight window. But then the problem is that when you're blown out in the second half, he may not be someone you can get the, the total number of carries. So if they're mixing up in the first half, 
and then they go away from the run in the second half, you potentially have some really large volume problems on your hands. Now, this this game against Tennessee might end up being just as much of a non-representative game as the Houston game was. So, you know, hopefully for for net owners and for Jaguars fans, the reality will be at least somewhere in the middle, maybe closer to the Houston game. But anytime you have a high volume running back or you have a running back where they need to be high volume and score touchdowns and you have a questionable offense and you can get a good price in a trade, I think you should do that. Because there, there are a lot of paths to his value cratering Whereas a lot of things have to stay the same or have to stay perfect for his value to to stay where it is. And those types of running backs are always the ones I think you should sell if you can get sort of the name value for them. And and he's looked good enough through two weeks that that name value along with that production, I think, probably does bring quite a bit in a trade still. Yep. Uh, yeah, my thoughts exactly. Um, all right, let's move to the AFC West. Uh, Kareem Hunt has played on 64% of the Chiefs' snaps. Uh, that's actually just 13th among running backs, despite his massive start to the season. Um, C.J. Anderson, meanwhile, is 5th among running backs in snaps. He's got 104 snaps so far. Melvin Gordon is 7th among running backs in snap percentage. He's played on 79% of the Chargers' snaps. But the Chargers are averaging just the 5th fewest snaps per game, which is hurting... Gordon's snap total. And then Michael Crabtree, as I mentioned, trails Amari Cooper by 26 snaps. 67% uh, of the Raiders' snaps uh, is Crabtree's total for 89% uh, for Cooper. He's played Cooper's played on 89% of the Raiders' snaps compared to 67% for Crabtree. Uh, and Crabtree's actually been out-snapped by Seth Roberts uh, as well as Cooper. So that was kind of the little nugget of optimism I mentioned earlier for Cooper, um, but I think these running back snap totals are interesting as well here. Yeah, Kareem Hunt is probably the exact opposite of some of the other running backs we've talked about, where I doubt that his talent level is quite as high as it has looked through a couple of weeks. Even on some of those big plays, you can see that he doesn't have the long speed of some other yeah. players. He, he reminds me also of like Zach Stacy a little bit, like the way he's kind of like, I don't know, just this, the motion of his his leg he's a little pigeon toed or something and you just see him like he's got initial burst and then it's just like he's tailing off and it's he's been able to just avoid a couple uh guys trying to take him down like by his feet he's been able to avoid those tackles and then just just get past the last guy and get into the end zone a couple of these long runs but i could see you know things like if things break slightly these so a couple of these really long runs are much shorter runs and yeah he does not he does not seem to have the true breakaway speed that you know his his 30 attempts for 229 uh rushing yards would indicate of course he got eight receptions for 126 yards through the air as well so uh yeah and I, i'm not saying he's fluky but it's just it's it's surprising right but i think the flip side of that is the chiefs offense for as much criticism as they get and Alex Smith gets, and much of which is justified, is spectacular for a good running back. And Andy Reid, for as much criticism as he gets, again, much of it justified in terms of how he manages the clock and certain big games that he has probably lost because having a weakness in that area. 
he is a phenomenal coach and probably the second best coach in the NFL after Bill Belichick. And his offense and what it does for running backs, it puts them in positions to be successful. So you talked about Kareem Hunt and only playing 64% of the Chiefs snaps. And for most offenses, I think that would be a real concern because you're like, well, when Hunt is in the game, this is what they're going to do. When the backup is in the game, this is what they're going to do. You know, if Hunt is in there, we can try and figure out how to stop him. But it's just not like that. The Chiefs run so much misdirection and they do so many different things to keep the defenses from being able to key on, uh, you know, who their personnel is and and what the play is going to be. That even if Hunt isn't playing that super high percentage of snaps, which in many ways is great, helps keep you fresh. When he's in there, they've been able to use him and use him extremely effectively. And they use their running backs both in the run and the pass, and then in the red zone. So purely from a scheme perspective, that. I mean, Hunt's, Hunt's situation is is phenomenal, and I don't expect him to keep scoring like he has scored, but I mean, he's he's going to be a very good fantasy running back. And is he as talented as you know Brian Westbrook or um, Lashawn McCoy guys that that Reed had in Philadelphia? I mean, clearly he's not as talented as Jamal Charles, but he's perfect for the offense. So he doesn't necessarily need to be that talented to be a huge weapon for both them and for fantasy owners. Yeah, agreed. Um, in the NFC East, uh, Jason Witten leads all tight ends and snaps with 145, and he's actually tied for the overall lead in uh, wide receiver running back and tight end snaps with DeAndre Hopkins. Both of them have 145 snaps through two games. Uh, Evan Engram had 84% of the Giants' snaps in Week 1. We don't have the snap data yet for the Monday night football game, but Engram had seven targets and a touchdown in week two, so no fall off there. Um, LeGarrette Blunt was on the field for just six snaps in week two, um, and Terrell Pryor has outsnapped Jamison Crowder by 78% to 65% of the Washington uh, snaps there. So uh, what jumps out to you in the NFC East? Well, Evan Ingram has been exactly as advertised, and that's that's pretty exciting. Because of the strength of this rookie draft, you had some tight ends, including going all the way through to people like Gerald Everett, but you, you had tight ends who in any other year would have been extremely expensive, and this year they were falling uh, in many situations to the 201, 202, 204 range and so that was great value i went ahead and took advantage of that to try and uh, scoop up a lot of ingram so seeing what they've been doing especially within the context of the rest of their offense looking very very poor uh his his play has been exciting the washington situation is interesting prior you mentioned out snapping crowder uh, they they definitely look like they're missing garcon and jackson if not the specific players but just the continuity I'm mm-hmm. still very much trying to figure out how they want to run that offense this year. Is that what you're also seeing with them? Yeah. Um, Pryor's been interesting because he, he's been getting some deeper targets and looks to be clearly the number one guy there. But, yeah, I mean, the offense has been struggling mightily so far. So uh, I think the continuity probably plays a, a a big role there. And also, Deshaun Jackson is just really good. I mean, he's uh, – He's always been one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league, I think. And in sort of a, a structural way, I guess, like adding Terrell Pryor while losing to Sean Jackson, you know, you, you still have a, a deep threat wide receiver there. You should be fine. But I just think Jackson is uh, a very underrated player, and, and that loss was probably underappreciated. Um, 
And then, of course, Reed got banged up again this week, as, as we probably should have expected, but that, that can only be uh, bad for the offense as well. Um, in the NFC North, uh, Ty Montgomery leads all running backs in snaps played. Uh, he's played 139 snaps this year. Josh Bellamy leads all Bears wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends. Uh, he led them in snaps in week two. Um, Marvin Jones played on 96% of snaps in weeks week one. Again, we don't have the snap data yet for uh, Monday Night Football, but he led all wide receivers, uh, all Detroit wide receivers and targets uh, in that game with five. And then Latavius Murray has played on just a total of nine snaps in two games this year. Yeah, so Ty Montgomery is again that situation where having your best running back on the field all the time, and especially if that running back has this elite sort of dual threat ability, you know, as a a wide receiver transition player, but, but a big, thick guy who very much has a running back body, the things that he allows that offense to do is just very exciting. And so it's great to have him on the field. Certainly hope he doesn't get worn down by those snaps, even though the offense wasn't as effective in week two with all of those wide receiver injuries uh, Montgomery looks like a star and uh, you know un- unless all of those wide receivers end up going out or they continue to have more wide receiver injuries you know that offense should do for fantasy owners what they were expecting at the beginning of the season yeah it was interesting with Montgomery because you know he he had a ton of snaps in week one so you're going okay you know he looks like a workhorse um, and then it's it's continued week two he had 86 percent of the snaps um jamal williams is a little bit involved in week two he was on the field for 11 snaps but i mean yeah it appears that montgomery at least for now is it i mean he's he's the biggest workhorse in the nfl at running back it's crazy uh and so i don't you know i would i would definitely uh, keep riding him he does not strike me as a sell high he, you know he i would be holding holding on tight with montgomery um, moving to the NFC South, uh, Muhammad Sanu and Julio Jones have played the exact same number of snaps, 92. That's 82% of the Falcons snaps through two games. Devin Funches leads all Panthers wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends in snaps with 76% of snaps played. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, for comparison, has played on just 64% of snaps. OJ Howard out-snapped Cameron Brait uh, by eight in the Bucks' debut. And Brandon Coleman is second among New Orleans skilled players in snaps uh, and leads Ted Ginn in snaps by over 10 per game. Yeah, those Coleman numbers really jump out. The The New Orleans offense is is always sort of a share-the-wealth type of offense. And, and Ben Gretsch had an excellent article this offseason talking about Michael Thomas and not that he was going to be a fantasy bust or anything to that extent, but just that his expected volume was almost certainly going to be lower than the projections for a lot of people. This idea that Brandon Cook's leaving was going to free up Thomas to be this elite, you know, potentially top five type of wide receiver because you take his efficiency with breeze and then you add volume to it. That's certainly not an impossible scenario. It's not impossible that it works out that way the rest of the season. Certainly, I don't think Thomas owners are panicking or are upset necessarily with their selection but that offense has a lot of mouths to feed and so you look at Coleman being someone who wasn't expected to have a huge role you have Sneed coming back you have Ginn there 
you have Fleener and then Alvin Kamara looking like an intriguing player. We, we haven't seen enough yet. He's made a couple of spectacular catches, you know, had a couple of, of drops perhaps, you know, mixing him in with Ingram. But how the snaps and the targets break down with Coleman, Ginn, and Sneed once Sneed is back is going to be an important question for anyone trying to play any of those three guys or trying to get a value player out of it, you know, making trades uh, in today's Tuesday Morning Trades article by Devin, which is a, a great feature each week, I think. You know, he talked about it's it's never too early now to sell Sneed with what we're seeing from Coleman. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I own Sneed in a number of Dynasty Leagues. I hope that he comes back and does well. Obviously, the, the Saints offense is going to be extremely efficient, big picture. You know, they go through their big ups and downs uh, on a game-by-game basis. But I think that's the one that's been the most interesting there and, and certainly is very fantasy relevant as it affects the rest of those players. Definitely. All right, one last division here, the NFC West. Uh, Chris Johnson had one last snap than uh, Curran Williams. Um, Andre Ellington led all Cardinals running backs in snaps. He had 30 of the 66 snaps. Um, this week kind of covered that situation. Uh, Tyler Higby leads all Rams, uh, skill players in snaps. Meanwhile, Todd Gurley is fifth among all running backs in snap percentage, but the Rams are averaging the fourth fewest plays per game. So kind of like Melvin Gordon, he's being held, held back by a small, uh, volume offense. Chris Carson, uh, leads all the Seahawks running backs in snaps. He has 43 more snaps than the second-place running back, which is C.J. Procise. And then Carlos Hyde is sixth in running back snap percentage, but the 49ers are averaging the fewest plays per game in the league. Um, if Carlos Hyde had Carlos Hyde had 80% of the 49ers snaps right now, um, if he was on the Packers getting that same share, uh, he would he would add an, an additional 41 snaps. So. 20 per game more if he was on the Packers, which lead the league in uh, snaps, offensive snaps through two weeks, uh, compared to uh, his current total with the the 49ers, where they're the the fewest uh, snaps in the league. He's kind of he's got 85 snaps currently. So, um, what jumps out to you there? Well, Gurley, I think, is someone who had has had very good couple weeks to start. You probably can't buy him at a great price, but I think you should put feelers out to see if someone is looking to sell high on him. With with a real offense there, he just looks like the star everyone was expecting. And then those snap numbers you talked about in a sort of a sneaky way, if they can develop the offense a little bit going forward. Now, they have a schedule that that in, in some ways isn't set up the best to do this, but if they can develop the offense, all of these guys in this new scheme have been in it for a very short period of time. If the offense gets better, they bring in Sammy Watkins, uh, you know, improve his usage, his targets, then you're potentially looking at this massive breakout season. So not that you can necessarily buy him at a good price, but you at least want to test and see if people are looking to sell high on him. Carlos Hyde, the, the same kind of situation there. I don't know if you can necessarily buy him either. But those 49ers snaps, I think, are going to go up. They're going to get better within that Kyle Shanahan offense. So, you know, maybe you could look to buy 
a, a more peripheral player on that team or a less exciting player like Garcon with the idea that this offense is going to get better. They're going to play some teams that are not the Seahawks and you could get value out of the snaps going up in the future. Yeah, I totally agree with both of those. I think, um, you know, last year with Gurley, you, you had Jeff Fisher just kind of constricting the offense and he we had a big sample size with him where he we know that he likes to play slow and you know he likes to run the ball which is theoretically good for Gurley but he likes to run the ball in part because he wants to control the clock and just shorten the game um that doesn't seem to be the mo for Kyle Shanahan uh you know maybe (laughs) famously not the mo in, in the Super Bowl last year and then um it doesn't seem to be the MO for um, Sean McVay as well to just try to, to run the ball and, and run the clock. So through two weeks, I think it personally, I think it's more likely that those um, those snap numbers for the entire offense are, you know, less likely to hold up than the roles that we've seen for these two running backs. I think that, that Hyde and Gurley um, just given what else is there on the roster, uh, how they've looked through two weeks, uh, I think they're probably likely to hold on to that kind of 80% of the snaps type of workload rather than um, the offense being more likely to be so low volume going forward. Uh, but that will do it. Um, Sean, thanks so much for coming on with me. Everyone make sure to follow Sean on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian. Um, and yeah, Sean, looking forward to talking more football with you next week and uh, for many weeks to come here. Yeah, it should be great. Looking forward to the the rest of this season. Hopefully our high stakes teams really get it going. And, and just for everybody rooting for your players to not get injured this week and, and have a good time with it. We'll have a bunch of great guests this season. Uh, so tune in for them and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash radio. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.